And I didn't say good morning, but good morning, Mercy. Hey, great to hear your voices, and good morning, all of you who are here visiting us and here for the very first time. We're so excited that you are here with us today. Now, um, how many of you uh, know that Jesus has been good to you? Amen. That's right. Amen. He's been good to you. Now, uh, those of you who don't know that, let me let you know he's been good to you, (laughs) even if you don't know it. Uh, We were going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, I don't know your church history. I I don't know your cultural background, but I grew up in the black Baptocostal church. Uh, That's right. I said church, not church. Leave that R out. You put two U's in there. We had church. I'm talking that hand clapping, that foot stomping, that Holy Ghost moving, that preacher hooping, that, that person jumping the pew, that people running around doing some laps. I'm talking about praise and worship church. I'm talking about that dress to impress with your very Sunday best in honor and reverence of the Lord God. Now, we were in church Er day, not every day. Er day, all day. I, I just need to let y'all know about my history. Listen, we went to church on Sunday morning, and sometimes I don't think we got out until Wednesday night. <laughs> it started out Sunday morning. We would have breakfast at our church. Somebody would cook breakfast, and as a community, we would come together for breakfast. Then after breakfast was Sunday school, and after Sunday, Sunday school bell rang, we would go to morning worship, and after morning worship, somebody would fry some chicken back there in that fellowship hall. I see some of your heads shaking. You know my experience. Somebody would fry some chicken, and we would have some lunch together as a community in the fellowship hall, and that meant that we had afternoon service, and so you stuck around and ate And we went to afternoon service, and sometimes after afternoon service, we had evening service where we would invite another church to come, or we would go and visit another church. And then Monday was board meeting, and Tuesday was choir rehearsal, and Wednesday was Bible study and prayer meeting, and Thursday was usher board meeting, and Friday was youth and kids activities, and Saturday was community outreach, and then we did it all over again on Sunday morning. I come from a church cultural background where the church was the center of the community, where the church was your gathering place, where the church was your family. Now, I know that we all don't have that same experience. Uh, Maybe you you didn't have that experience. Maybe you did. Uh, Maybe you went to church for an hour on Sunday and you got out in time enough to see the game. I don't know that life. I don't know that life. Uh, maybe you, you grew up in a different religion, or maybe you didn't grow up going to church at all. But you know what? I'm so excited that you are here today with us. Praise God that we are here together to see what Jesus is up to. Now, with all of that background, with all of the different, uh, the variety of church experiences or not, uh, what in the world is church actually supposed to be? You see, we've been in a series called Imagine Better. We've been talking about a few different things. We talked about unity. We talked about a whole lot of things. Uh, uh, But today I want to imagine, imagine church. I want to end the series, in the series, with a focus on what the church is supposed to be. Those of us who consider ourselves part of this 
collection called the church. The church, the church. Nowhere in the scriptures is there a more perfect description of what the church should be. A description of what the purpose of the church is, a, per, a picture of what the, how the church is supposed to operate and how the everyday life of churchgoers is supposed to look like. Nowhere do we find that better described than the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. So if you have your Bible, would you open it up or turn it on and meet me in the book of Acts chapter number two. We'll start at verse number 42. If you don't have your Bible with you, we will have the verses right up here on the screen. I'll be reading from the New International Version if you're on your mobile device and you want to follow along. Verse number 42 reads, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. At the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This book is written by Dr. Luke. It's written by Luke, uh, uh, who is most famous for his, auto, his, his, his biography excuse me, of the Lord Jesus. We call it the Gospel of St. Luke. Maybe you've read it. It is one of the synoptic gospels, one of the first three. And Luke, in this book, actually continues that gospel. This is the continuation of that gospel. So this could be called Luke 2, part 2, the sequel. And in this book, he documents and he communicates his research. He's a researcher, a very smart man researches the original church, the first church, and he wants to document that and communicate that to his audience, what the actual church was like or was supposed to be like. See, the church is the most important and valuable organization that's ever been created in human history. It was created by Jesus. It was instituted by Jesus. Actually, Matthew chapter 16 tells us, Jesus tells us, he introduces us to this concept of church and the value and importance that the church is supposed to have. You see, Jesus introduces us to this word called ecclesia. Ecclesia is what we translate into English as church. Ecclesia is literally defined as the called out ones. You see, the church is supposed to be a collection of people surrounding a person. Those people being believers and that person who we surround and focus our attention on being Jesus. Now, that's what the church is supposed to be. But the church is not... A building. 
The church is not these four walls. The church is not this carpet, these seats. The church uh, is not this equipment and monitors and lights and camera action. The church is not physical, tangible buildings. The church also is not a country club. It's not an exclusive uh, 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 you got to meet this certain criteria in order to be welcome and accepted into our club. The, the church is not a convenience store. It's not a place where you go in whenever you want something and just grab what you want and get out. Peace. Uh, no, no. The church... It's supposed to be a leading body of people who worship Jesus and impact their surrounding community. The church is supposed to be the only institution on earth that has the power to bring heaven to earth, to bring eternity into time. The church is the only active institution that exists solely for its non-members. The church is not for me. I become a part of it so that I can serve. So that I can be a blessing to those who not yet belong. Now, I'm not here to give a history lesson. <laughs> I'm not here to wow you with fun facts. I'm not here to tickle your ears with witty words and, and creative, clever conversation. But my job as a preacher, my job as a pastor, is to examine these historical texts and then to hear from God what God wants to say and then communicate to the congregation in a culturally relevant way how to transform life, transform surroundings, to, to conform our lifestyle to that of Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be the same today that we were yesterday. We, we shouldn't be the same next year, this time, as we are right now. We should be always growing. But here's a problem. People don't want to hear what a pastor's got to say. <laughs> People don't want to hear what a preacher has to say anymore. Some people just don't want that. Some people don't want a preacher speaking into their lives. Some people don't want to hear what a pastor has to say. Let me tell you, I took my dad to church one day. This was some years ago. Say, man, come on to me. Come on with me. We were living in Syracuse. He drove up, and I said, come with me to church. And he said, all right. He agreed. He wasn't a churchgoer. And we went into the sanctuary. He listened to the music. And when uh, my pastor got up to, to preach, uh, he, he, he dipped out. Y'all know the, the church finger? People put up, I got to go. All right. So he dipped out. He got out, and he went into the lobby. And then he went into the bathroom. And then he went outside and then he came back in and he looked at me. He said, I can't get away from that man on the stage. Y'all got speakers everywhere. <laughs> I go to the bathroom. I went outside. You got speakers out there. Some people want to get away from what God is saying or communicating to us. Some people even say, I love Jesus, but I 
hate that church. Which is an oxymoron because Jesus tells us that his body is the church. Actually, he also calls the church his bride. And let me tell you something. If you got a problem with my bride, you got a problem with me. Don't come up to me and say, you know, Lakita, this, that, and the other. Oh, really? Let me talk to you outside real quick. <laughs> I think statements like that are a sign. They're a sign of the status of our church today. They're a sign that we lack in discipleship. The pandemic has made this very, really clear that our discipleship is not strong. That we need to invest more time and energy in discipleship. Actually, we've seen before the pandemic just symptoms of, of, of poor discipleship. We've seen politics and a, a, a cultural phenomenon and, and social preferences and self-absorption take priority over the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dr. Ed Stetzer, I don't know if you've heard of him, but if you haven't, you should be aware of him. Uh, he's a professor and dean at Wheaton College. He's a writer. He's a researcher. He's one of the smartest men that I've ever met. Well, he's done some research, and, 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 and uh, uh, this is one of the things he said. He says in his research that 30% of people since 2020 have left their local church just because of the church's response to wearing masks. Many more have made their exit over the pastor's stance on racial injustice. Others have, uh, in their desire uh, uh, for the pastor to publicly support their political side or candidate, have made their exit. And some just want the pastor to conform the message in the Bible to their lifestyle, feelings, and beliefs. I understand. I understand. I understand that the church is not perfect. I understand that, that people are not perfect. I understand that when you collect people together, you have problems. I understand that, that the church, if, there, if there's a blanket statement of church, that the church has not lived up to the perfection of Jesus Christ. But guess what? It never was called to. The church was never called to be perfect. As a matter of fact, anytime you join a church, it gets less perfect. <laughs> if you ever find a perfect church where the angels are in the choir singing, Ooh, and they got their white robes on and their perfect halos, don't you go up in there messing stuff up. They're not even going to let you in. With your halo hanging from your horns. We all have fallen short. That's what I'm trying to say. And we, the challenge is that uh, so many of us are looking for the perfect church. We, we go from church to church hopping because we want to find the perfect place. Let me tell you a quick story about Roger Williams. Roger Williams was a Puritan. Roger Williams moved here to the United States from England. Roger Williams wanted to separate church and state. Roger Williams wanted to have the perfect church. 
He wanted to have church his way. And so what did he do? He started his own church in Massachusetts in the 17th century. You can look up. I'm not saying any new information. Look up this historical information. Uh, but what he did was he, he, he planted his own church because he wanted church to go his way. And as he preached, as he opened the doors, people started coming. And you know what happened? It wasn't perfect anymore. People bring problems and challenges. And he got so frustrated with this church that he planted that you know what he did? He abandoned that church. He left that church and said, I want to create the perfect church. I want to create the perfect church, the church that goes my way. And so he left that church behind in Massachusetts and he moved to Rhode Island and he planted a new church. Fresh start, right? That's all we need is a fresh start, right? He plants a new church. He goes to this church. He starts preaching and people start coming. And as the people start coming, they bring their own problems. And guess what? The same thing happens. He abandons that church. He leaves that church. He moves again, and the cycle continued. He kept planting new churches, trying to get new, the perfect church his way. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this profound statement in his book called Life Together. He says this, and I quote, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. Even though their personal intentions may ever be so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. You see, Jesus established this institution called church to actively accept broken people. Jesus uh, initiated this institution called church so that we can uh, readily receive imperfect people and immature people and people who haven't always done everything right. He even opened the door for people who think that they have everything right and are so full of pride that they need to come in to the church to be humble. I think Jesus did this. He wanted all of us to be collected together because he knows that we're better together. He knows that if we are inclusive of all of our faults, flaws and all, as Beyonce said, if we are inclusive of all of our flaws, if we are inclusive of those who have challenges, if we're inclusive of every ethnicity and every culture and every socioeconomic group and every difference that you can think of, if we're inclusive, we work on each other and we make each other better. Because watch this, if we are all together... And we all have different perspective. Anytime a challenge comes our way, we can see it from all of its angles. And we could work on it together. So, in the scriptures, what does, this, what does the everyday Christ-centered church look like? I think the answer is in verse number 42 where he says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to fellowship. The word devoted is dedicated, 
The word devoted means committed, right? It means, uh, uh, means self-sacrificing commitment and loyalty. It's a commitment to a relationship. It's pledging oneself to the future of something. In this case, the one thing that they say they dedicated themselves is to the apostles' teaching. What were the apostles teaching? When you get a chance, read all of Acts chapter 2. You're going to see Peter's first sermon. You're going to see what Peter actually taught. And I'm going to give you the secret. This is what he taught. But I still want you to read it. He taught the gospel. The good news of Jesus. That's it. He didn't say, here's the five ways to fix your marriage. Here's the ten ways to, to jump through hoops. Here's the other way to turn around backwards and do a backflip. I, I don't know what. Whatever they out there preaching, that's not, what Je- that's not what Peter preached. The apostles preached the good news of Jesus. You know why they preached the good news of Jesus? Because it's the gospel that gets on the inside of us and transforms us from the inside out. Everything else is an attempt to fix from the outside in. And that's not how Jesus designed us. The gospel transforms us. The gospel is a message of grace. It's this idea that I receive something, this goodness of Jesus without ever having to do anything for it. That God gave it to me in spite of my background, my history, my sins, my faults, uh, what I said last night to that person. This teaching of the gospel, it works on our thinking and our everyday living. It actually works to transform our thoughts and our behaviors. The gospel does. When we dwell on the gospel, it transforms us from the inside out, and that is called discipleship. That's discipleship. The process of being formed by the good news of Jesus. Our commitment to the gospel, when we commit more and more to the gospel, to reviewing that thing and making it a part of our lives... It actually makes room for the Holy Spirit to get in there and start moving things around and transforming us from the inside out. We don't have to do the work. We work so hard, wiping our brow, we're so sweaty trying to do this work. And Jesus says, I'll handle that for you. That's what I wanted to do. See, this internal work, that we need to do or allow Jesus to do is actually the solution to our problems. We might be facing some some more uh, challenges in the days coming because it is election season. Y'all know about election season? Lord have mercy. Ed Stetzer says the world is about to be on fire. I said, oh, Lord, get your fire extinguisher, right? The church should be the solution to all of that. But when we are in election season, we become divided. We start to fight each other. We want our way. But the election is never the solution to our problems. The election or whoever's in office or whoever's uh, 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 ruling over us or whatever is never the solution to any of our problems. The solution to any of our problems is a transformed heart. 
It's not until we transform someone's heart and, and we'll see lasting change. Listen, public policy is important. Don't get me wrong. It's important that we vote for the right things and, and to help people to move forward. It's important for us to vote for politicians that are going to work for people and not pockets. It's important for all of that. But it's imp more important for us to have a heart change, for those people to have a heart change and work with public policy. Then we will see lasting change. It's when we have a heart change and we combine that with neighborhood beautification that we will see lasting change. It's when we have a heart change and we work with the climate that we will see lasting change. It's when we have a heart change and then we work together to be the salt and light that Jesus has called us to be that we will see some lasting change in our world. Not only did they dedicate themselves to the apostles' teaching, but they dedicated themselves to fellowship. I believe this is the most important thing we can talk about right now, fellowship, because we lost that in a pandemic. We, 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 we lost it, and some people are, are now rejecting it. So anyway... The word fellowship, he says that uh, they dedicated themselves in verse 42 to fellowship. That word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. In verse number uh, uh, 44, he goes on to say that all the believers were together and had everything in, the, the verse says in common, but the word is actually in koinonia. So the word is translated in common. The word is translated to fellowship. The word is koinonia. What does koinonia mean? It means that these people shared everything. They shared the time, their talents, their, their treasures, their, their experiences. They shared their stories. They, they shared their gifts and their resources, their assets with each other. What compelled them to live like that? What compelled them in our American sense? We would think that that was extreme. Some of y'all think, that's communism. Right? I've heard a lot of people say, those church folks, if you read the Acts, they're communists, they're Marxists, they're all these other words. They weren't. <laughs> so get your political, calm down. Your news channel, calm them down, turn them off right now. These people loved each other so much that they were willing to share what they had with them. When's the last time we shared? When we share with someone else, when we love someone else, when we go out of our way to help someone else, Jesus said we actually are doing it for him. Matthew chapter 25 says, when you fed the least of these, when you clothed the least of these, when you gave a home to the person who didn't have a home, you actually did it for Jesus. When we reach out to the marginalized and we help that person, when we reach out to the neglected and help that person, when we reach out to the abused and help that person, when we reach out to the under-resourced and help those folks, Jesus said, thank you. You're doing that. For me. So what does that lifestyle look like today? One, it means connecting with a local church. We need to be with a local church. We need to fellowship with each other. Two, it means supporting that local church with your time, 
with your resources so that that local church can then be an impact, to have an impact on this world. But three, I want to introduce something a little different, a little new, which seems to be lost. That means showing up as your authentic self. That means being you. It means being vulnerable. Showing up as your authentic self. Let me, let me talk to uh, those of you who are non-white right now. To my black brothers and sisters, my Asian brothers and sisters, my Hispanic brothers and sisters, my Brazilian brothers and sisters, to, to those of you who are Indian who, who come from various backgrounds, I want you to know God doesn't want you to assimilate to majority culture in order to be relevant and valuable to a church community. You don't have to be magical to belong. You don't have to be a unicorn to belong. Let me tell you, I've experienced it, being the magical Negro and being a, the, 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 y'all can laugh at that, being a unicorn, being this, 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 whatever, is exhausting. And you don't have to be that. You be who God created you to be. One of the other reasons we don't want to do that is because that's tokenism. We don't put, up, put somebody up here on the stage and be like, oh, that's my black face. We have multi-ethnic church now. No. We want you to show up here as your authentic, God-given self. And that's how we grow. That's how we learn. When I come as my authentic self and you come as your authentic self, we learn from each other. Matter of fact, iron sharpens iron. We make both each other better when we bring our authentic selves. Here at Mercy, we want to build an authentic, multi-ethnic, multicultural church that's equitable. The equitable body of Christ. We want to be witnesses to this community. And the only way we're going to have a valid witness is if we are valid in here. If we are authentic in here. Because they can smell it on the outside. That's why folks don't want to come to church now. They see us on TV and all this other kind of stuff. They see how fake some people are. Anyway, I'll get off of that. You need the local church. The local church needs you. Has anybody been to West Coast before? I'll end with this. West Coast. All right. That's awesome. Some of you from the West Coast, thank you for bringing that warm weather with you right now. I love 70 degrees because it's about to go downhill from here. But God bless us. Please, Jesus. Buy two coats. Uh, on the West Coast, they have these unique trees called redwood trees. Redwood trees. Have you ever seen a redwood tree? Redwood trees are beautiful. They're gorgeous. They're, it's something magical about a redwood tree because they can grow to be 350 feet tall. Redwood trees can live to be 2,000 plus years old. Redwood trees are unique and significant because they don't produce resin and they, don't, uh, they have a high level of tannin, which makes them, one, naturally insect repellent, and it also makes them fire resistant. 
Redwood trees, they grow in community. They grow together. You see a whole forest of redwood trees. According to the California Department of Parks and Rec, these trees, these trees, as they grow together, they have shallow roots. The roots only grow down for a 350-foot tree. They only grow down about six feet. But, but not only are the roots shallow, but they grow long and wide. They could, the roots can reach up to 100 feet away from the base of the tree. And as those roots continue to grow, they entangle themselves into the roots of other redwood trees. God, I'm preaching here. Y'all don't even know it. Those roots get entangled with the other roots of other redwood trees. Therefore, if any challenge ever comes up against that forest, you got to deal with the whole forest. Anytime that a problem comes up, as the wind comes, the storm comes, there's no way you can knock down those trees because they are together. When you and I are planted in our local church, when we give it time to grow and and be connected with each other, when we give it time to grow our roots, we don't have to grow our roots super deep in one place. We just got to grow wide. We got to grow wide and intertangle with each other. We got to get involved in each other's lives. We got to be vulnerable and help each other. We got to start connecting and be loving toward each other. And when we do that, there's nothing that can knock us down. Listen, mercy, you and many of you know that mercy has withstood some of the hardest challenges, some of the roughest storms, but we have a solid rock named Jesus Christ that we're built upon that will never allow us to fall. Mercy Vineyard Church will last because of his namesake. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. I dare not trust. Y'all know the words? Thank you. Listen, I believe that we need to unite as a church body. And if you don't have a church home, we just talked about, Elliot talked about, we have a membership class that's going to happen on November 10th. I'd love for you to come out to be a part of that, just to learn more about mercy. No pressure to join this church. But I have one thing that I would like for you to do this week. And I'm going to ask you to make a commitment. So would you grab your connect card? It's in the backs of your seats. Grab that connect card. Everybody, whether you're a first-time guest, whether you're going to be here, you're not going to be here. I want you to make a commitment because I want us to grow. Number one, look on that card. At the bottom of that card, it says next step. If the Holy Spirit spoke to you in any way during this message, of gave you some next step that you need to do, I want you to write it down. It's your commitment to, yes, this is what I'm going to do. But for those of us who don't have that readily accessible, I'm going to ask you this. On Wednesday evening at 530, we have a meal that's completely free and open to you. We have a meal every Wednesday at 5.30 before we have classes. I'm going to invite you to come Wednesday at 5.30. Bring your family, bring your friends, bring your enemies. They need it too. What I want you to do is come and sit down at the table and have a meal together. 
Because at a meal together, we can sit down and get to know each other a little bit better. We can grow closer to each other. We can fall in love with each other. We can entangle our roots at the dinner table. 